Hey, this is Julia Stern, and you're listening to Not My Best, the podcast that reminds you it's okay not to perform at your best 100% of the time. When we shift the focus to become a little bit better, instead of trying to be at our best all the time, we'll accomplish a lot more and we'll have way more fun doing it. Let's get into it. Julia Stern here. Welcome back to Not My Best Podcast. This is episode number 11. It is part two of the conversation that I had last week with my husband, Andy Stern, who is also the director of talent at Rumble Boxing and Training. If you haven't already heard that first episode, head back and listen to episode number 10. We're going to jump right back into it this week. It gets kind of serious, but it's a really important conversation and we touch on a lot of things that we don't normally share. So again, thank you for listening for all of your positive feedback and support that you gave on last week's episode. And don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, do all the things, tell one person you know about this podcast. And if you are on the East Coast now like me, hopefully some warmer times are ahead and Bear with the cold because I know this is the part of winter where I get crazy, like need to get out of the house, need some vitamin D. Before we get into the episode, speaking of vitamins, a word from Red Bar, that's R-E-D-D Bar. It is a plant-based protein bar full of adaptogens to help you get through your day. Adaptogen means adapt to stress, which is something cool that I didn't know. You can get 15% off with the code NOTMYBEST. Head to Red Bar, that's R-E-D-D bar.com, and check out more. We talked about uh, everything that had happened with your dad. We had gotten engaged in July, and your dad, I'm sorry, we got engaged in May, and your dad passed in July very suddenly. Um, And so we left off at a part where we were at the hospital, and worlds were just being flipped upside down. And now we're here, um, you know, it's going to be eight, nine, ten, how many years ago? Four. Almost four years ago. Um, and it feels like it was two seconds ago. So we're struggling at this point. What do you think was the most difficult thing for you to cope with or manage once your dad had passed? Well, Rumble was still like a brainchild. So in New York City, it, was, it seemed further away than what it actually is. Um, I mean by that, it was, I was commuting. And we didn't have a space, so I was I was kind of going in. We were working out of um, Long Island. We were working out of hotel gyms. Like we were just kind of coming up with the company itself. Um, so there was no consistency, stability, structure, um, as always for you know a startup. Um, so to do that plus trying to grieve, so like you're at a happy time, right? So I got happiness of an engagement. And starting a new career and the saddest of times of trying to grieve and process sudden loss. I think that has been the most difficult thing for us still to this day is that like life doesn't move in one direction, right? Everything is always going parallel to each other. And for us, it was very, very high extremes. So we were getting married, getting engaged, planning a wedding, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time suffering loss, your mom got sick and we were trying to figure out on navigate a new career path. And I think having these extreme highs and these extreme lows still, and I don't think that that's something that's going to go away. Like I think about, you know, our kids, our future kids, and like being there when they're born someday and like they're already down a set of grandparents. I don't think that we can have these extreme highs that are completely absent of lows. 
No, you can't. And, and I think our better not best in how we're working with each other every single day is trying to manage, um, you know, how to be happy and sad at the same time. So how do you think all of this tragedy before we even continue the story has affected us as a relationship? Wow. Um, well, when that, that happens, your priorities shift. Mm-hmm. And I think we had the challenge of do we put this engagement off a couple more years? Um, the wedding, do, I mean, we weren't going to take back the engagement. No, but, you know, do we hold on? Yeah. Do we, um, you know, maybe I don't go into this New York City venture. Maybe I get something stable and help take care of mom and, and my family. And um, there was a lot of that unknown territory with a startup and New York City and you still working in New Jersey. So like there was this, we're never going to see each other. And we're also heartbroken. Um, what do you think really attributed to you making the decisions that you did? Like, what do you think was the deciding factor for you? Dad was a big factor on that because I knew he would want me to go for it and try it. And uh, it was aligned with the right type of people that would make this thing successful. Um and this was like, you know, the big shot. So I think he would have been uh, angry at me if I if I played it safe. Um, he was actually our biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Actually. He would be so incredibly thrilled if you were able to see what we have done in the past yeah. three years. Like, one little thing. like He was the guy that, you know, you saw any trainer on TV, he'd be like, that should be you and Julia. Yeah. Like, a moment. You know, it's like... Get, be on TV. Yeah, he okay, Dad. <laughs> just, Why can't you just go do just that? Just go do that. Yeah. Again, flashbulb memory. We're going to the hotel room from the hospital after he had passed. We had to take your mom back to the hotel that they were staying at to kind of collect all of their mm. stuff so that we could leave. And I don't know where you were if you went in a different car with your brother or if you were in the car, but I just remember so vividly your mom saying to me because I think at that point she was in a state of shock. And we all were and nothing. You just have to process like normal. That initial shock hits and you have to like really, you know, just keep it moving until you can get a second to break down. And she was saying, you know, I've been having this pain in my stomach. I'm really going to go to the doctor now. I've been putting it off, but yeah. I'm going to make a doctor appointment. I think with, you know, like I said last episode, when shock happens, you first off, your priorities change no matter who you are. And you start to think about your life and what you're doing with it and the the relationships you're having and your health and um so when it strikes you start thinking like okay how do i take back my life how do i control my life and that's what she said and ultimately that pain in her stomach was pancreatic cancer yes so you know we were august yes and we're having our engagement party that we were stuffing those invitations for the night that his dad had passed and his mom finds out that it was August or September. I, it was a. I remember it was a Tuesday, and I was in the basement of what is now Rumble Boxing on Twenty Third Street. And um, Bobby, my brother, had called, um, and I didn't pick up. And at this point, I do have and still have PTSD from a phone call. So anytime there's a call, it's that's unexpected. You don't think it's a hi, how are you? You think that something is there's, wrong. Yeah. So when he double called me. You're, you're, you know, you just, your heart sinks for whatever the reason is. Your mind goes, you know, plays tricks on you. But uh, he called and said, you know, they found 
it to be cancerous. Um, and that phone call, the word cancer, nobody could ever um, really process or define it when it gets the diagnosis. You're, you're just like in panic mode and you're like, again, as you said earlier, I am a solution type of person. So the solution was, let's go. We're going back to Jersey. Let's figure this out. Let's get multiple tests. Let's, you know, what do we got to do? And you, of course, worry how much time do I have because of the nature of the beast. You know how destructive it could be. You don't know anything. All you do know is that. And when you hear the word pancreatic cancer, it's such an aggressive form of cancer. You don't think that there's any. But I didn't know that really. You know, like you do everybody. As soon as you get the the um, the message, everybody becomes a doctor. All of your friends. Everyone's researching. Everybody's on WebMD. Everybody knows. Everybody has the perfect diet to help. Um, and that actually, this is advice to anybody that's um, connected to somebody that has it. The worst thing you could do from a support system, in my opinion, is give that person solutions. They don't necessarily want your solutions. They want support. And they don't from my perspective, I didn't want or need 15 doctors calling me and doctors meaning friends and saying, I read an article where this Yeah, is oh, I knew somebody and... that survived and they did it. Like, I yeah. get it because you don't know what to say, but uh, that's not what I need at that time. And I didn't know what I needed, but I needed to get home and we we flew down to, to Central Jersey again back in Monroe and sat around the table and cried and couldn't grasp that just three months after dad passed that we are now um, shifting grief into survival. At the same time, we're engaged in planning a wedding. So again, it's like balancing this happy and this immense, immense sadness because you don't even know what to feel or how to be excited. And for me, I don't even know how to process emotions still to this day because I'm marrying my best friend. I am so happy that we're getting married. Like you think about your wedding from the time that you're very, very young. And at the same time, I still was suffering because I have known these people since I was 15. Of course, I would still care about them if, you know, we had been dating for eight months before we got engaged. But I have known these people for over a decade. Um, And it was like a second set of parents to me. Um, And it was a family that I had been a part of. Um, And you don't want to see the person that you love suffering. So there's just a lot to process on top of going through your day to day of like, you know, teaching children or working at Rumble or trying to figure it out and developing your relationship. Like it's literally almost impossible. And this was the point that I called a therapist. And I think I had tried a few at this point. I remember we both tried ones in New Jersey. Um, I didn't like mine. Mine and I, yeah, we didn't connect. But I think that this is such an important time to stop and say therapy should be the norm. Whether it is individual therapy, whether it is couples therapy. Um, We have been going to a couples therapist for about three years. We still go. Um, We do Skype sessions when we can't be in New York. And it saved us. Not to say that we wouldn't be together, not to say that we would be divorced if we didn't go, but it drastically improved our relationship. And I remember giving her that first phone call when we were in New Jersey 
Um, and I called, it was a therapist in New York because I knew that that's where we were moving. And I basically was in tears by the time I was done explaining my situation to her. And I was saying, you know, his mom is sick, his dad just died. I'm trying to plan a wedding. We're trying to live together. And I don't understand how to navigate this. And like, I seriously need somebody else's help. Um, and she sat us down and I don't think that we've ever really been, or I haven't been in a session where I haven't teared up at one point or another. Um, we always leave and sometimes we leave feeling worse than when we walked in because the work is hard. Um, but she has taught us how to communicate with each other. And I do think that the one blessing here is that it got us to go. And that's another reason that I want to share this is that therapy is ultra, ultra useful. Um, whether you are going through trauma or not, it needs to become the norm. We talk about it a lot um, in our society, I think. I think that also might be because of where we live. Um, and we work in a mental and physical health industry, so I kind of hear about it a lot. But at the end of the day, our society is still very, very, very stigmatized. And there is no shame behind mental health. You should be going to talk to somebody, whether it's individually or with your partner, even if your life is without trauma right now. Um, you don't realize how much you are missing um, if you don't get that hour once mm -hmm. in a while. And we're very fortunate that we have the benefits to cover it, but there are also services um, you know, people I've heard of like sliding scale therapists where depending on your income, it costs different things. So just research your options. Um, and we're here to say that we're a very happy couple who loves each other very much. Um, but we use the help of another person. To yeah, no, it's, I mean, she has helped me process what I'm feeling. I remember I, one specifically, I think it was that Christmas that we were, we were starting into, I said, how do I combat the fear? You know, like I'm sitting at the table, like this could be my last Christmas with mom. Like, and it was just simple tricks, like counting the blue items in the room, like distract your brain. So like those small things, tips, tricks, whatever you want to call them, um, help you function. Like it's powerful. And we would also sit on a couch and like, I would say, she would be like, Julia, how do you feel about this? And I'd be like, the sky is blue and the grass is green and this is how I'm feeling. And then she would be like, okay, Andy, can you run that back? How is she feeling? And you would be like, the sky is purple and the grass is orange and that's how she's feeling. And we would just like look at each other and be like, no, like, you're at, no, no, nope. you're absolutely 100% incorrect. And just those little things, like we'll laugh at it. And of course I bring sarcasm into the room and you know, he brings laughter and we're always joking around as we're like doing this work, but it's such important work because as much as we love each other, we have different systems of processing. Um, and sometimes you just need to slow it down. In a world that's moving so incredibly fast, you, have, you need to slow it down. So therapy has helped us tremendously. Your mom had just gotten diagnosed. She moves into our one bedroom apartment when she gets treatment because she's getting treated in the city. And that was mm -hmm. incredibly stressful for me too. As much as I wanted her to be well and as much as I wanted her to be taken care of, I would not be authentic if I didn't say that that wasn't difficult because we had never lived together before. We're planning a wedding. We live in a one bedroom. I mean, that was difficult for me, not even like, there. because yeah. I knew it was difficult for you. So I had to play like this medium or like the middle guy of like mom's habits. I know were different than your habits, like just from living. Um, so it was a challenge in a 700 square foot apartment to make sure everybody felt comfortable. Um, it wasn't a comfortable situation and it, no. I don't think it could have been. There was so much sadness there. It was awkward. And again, we were trying to be happy and figure out to live to, living together like mm -hmm. that whole situation. And your mom was there 100% of the time. So it was really challenging. It was a three-year fight. 
That we'll was January detail. 20-ish, 2017-ish. So we just opened Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got married July of 2017. Uh, we had a great honeymoon in Italy. Come back. Um, she had now done this crazy surgery, radiation and whatnot, July of 2017, when we were actually in, honey- in, in Italy. Um, successful. Things are looking on on the bright side. Um, she's really got a good, I guess you would say, grasp on, on the cancer. Um, she still continues to do preventative chemo after that and was mm. well for about uh, another year. And it was That was when we started to brainstorm our, our travels. So at this point, I was working for Rumble and everything was great. And then we started to travel and it was when we were in L.A. that she got diagnosed again. And from the time that she got diagnosed again um, to the point that she passed last fall um, was one year. So that final year of her getting treatment, that was that was, was, a, was very yeah, an aggressive. It was very aggressive. You know, we eventually wound up coming home from traveling with Rumble um, in June. It was every single day there were some kind of complications, and that to me was the hardest part. So that was really ultimately leading up to last fall um, when she passed, and it I still can't really process it because we would be living. Not normally, but we would be going about our day-to-day, and I felt like almost every day you would get a phone call that there was this complication that she was in the hospital. You had to run to New Jersey um, to visit her because we eventually moved her out of her treatment in New York because it was the travel on her was too taxing. Um, and then you would be called into work to do something. And then we would, you know, our anniversary passed, uh, my birthday passed, and it constantly was like, are we going to be able to have these days of normalcy? And I think at this point I started to get really angry and so did you. And we just became very sad, angry mm-hmm. humans. And this is when Instagram became almost unavailable to me. I couldn't be on it because I would see people doing normal things like having a date night or like getting a workout in or going on vacation or doing, you know, normal everyday things. And I would, I would be pissed. We had because a number of vacations that we have We had booked. an entire pl- trip to Greece plans that we canceled. Um, we had a trip to Tahoe plan that we canceled. We had a trip to, I don't even know where, that the Bahamas, we canceled it. It was yeah. one after the other. And as soon as we felt like we got a moment to breathe, there was something else um, causing sadness. And it was a very, very challenging time. And ultimately leading up to her last days, um, some of the most difficult days. Yeah, that's, I mean, we don't got to go into details. No, that we was, uh, details. it was very painful and watching her suffer is not something that I would ever no. wish on, on anybody to watch a family member suffer in the way that she did and the way that she ultimately passed. Um, and that was only two short months ago. Yes. Remember December, January. Yeah. Less than three months ago. And we are still, the world has kept turning. We took one week off after she passed to have the services and we rolled right back into work. And now I think it's crazy to see how our priorities have shifted. So you want to go back to the beginning of episode one, when we had this conversation and we said what attracted ourselves to, you know, each other was our ambition and our goals and our hard work ethic. And I think now the narrative has completely redirected itself and what is important to us is our family and our happiness um, and our connection with ourselves and each other because without that, there is absolutely nothing else. I agree. Um, How do you feel over the past two months? Well, I think I used 
work and quote real life you know functionality as a crutch yeah as a crutch as also as a drug to function i mean mm-hmm. you know i think grief for a lot of people doesn't look like the hollywood movie where you're sitting around crying and looking at pictures and you know refusing to get out and you're just stuck um i think we are forced to function um but I think we do a really poor job at as a society in general is like I, I wrote this the other day in a picture like grief is not the flu. It's not I'm better in a week. Like we never not say never, but most people don't check in with people after they go through such trauma after a, you know, couple weeks. They kind of just, um, you know, get back to their normal lives. So. And I get it, that's normal for most, but if you are listening to this and you know somebody that was affected by something ever sudden that's sad, like no matter how much time passes, it can't hurt to check in on them and just ask them how are they? Because mm-hmm. if they just wanna give you the tip of the iceberg, fine, but I think it's important that we ask, um, especially as more time passes because like I said, it doesn't go away, and it's I don't not. Think it gets easier. It just gets different. Yeah, much, much different. And now we are wearing fuck Cancho shirts. Yes, which is an incredible organization um, that you hopefully will be able to work with in the future to give back, um, because you look at things like the Kobe Bryant situation, but the reality of it is, there are there's loss every single day. <laughs> there's sudden loss every day, and, and there's there's cancer loss every day, and there's. You know, loss is part of life. It teaches you um, how to appreciate and value time and and connections more, but um, it is a void that is undescribable. And especially in our line of work where we are on a platform to preach happiness and, you know, It has become increasingly difficult for me specifically. You're super motivational, but for me... If I'm not feeling it to get on stage and to be like, you know, live your best life. And that's, again, why I started this podcast, because live your best life is a crock of shit. <laughs> um, if you if the mm-hmm. pieces are missing and you're going through something. And so it's really taking out of that workout, whatever it is that you need that day. And I've really started to say that more in my classes. Um, you know, whatever you need from this workout, whether it's your therapy to hit something and get something out of your system or whether it is to just forget about whatever's going on outside of the room, Mm -hmm. um, you need to pull exactly what you need. And so how have you really balanced, you know, being in your line of work and this line of work with Rumble and at the same time manage the symptoms of your depression and also grieving? How have I managed poorly, to be honest, if I'm going to be truthful to myself, but functioning and I have much less empathy for quote problems and I'm you know understandably trying to balance um more me time and that just but I means also, I think too you have much less empathy you say for problems but I don't think you have less empathy for problems I think you have less empathy for superficial things that don't matter that could be right it's putting things into perspective and I think if there is a silver lining out of any of this it's that you know, we have our priorities in line in terms of what is important and what is not. And if it's not, we give it a place. 
we put a name to it and then we move it along and we continue to go. So like something that might have happened at work that might make me upset might make me as upset for half a millisecond to the point where I could care less about it once it passes because it's just not yeah, important. You, you my happiness, my health, your happiness, your health, our happiness, our health is much more important than, you know, getting your toes stepped on. Yes. And I think the challenge, like to go back to being on the, the stage to try to promote, you know, happiness and, and health, um, you have to take care of yourself. And if, if, the means of group fitness is the outlet for you to take care of your own health, then I'm super honored that I would be your, you know, pilot on that vehicle because a lot of us, when we fall into this depression, myself included, we use vices. I mean, we could tell you how much wine we drank and, you know, Mm -hmm. even pulling that off. I think it, it, the, the parallels of I'm going to eat worse and drink more and less working out I'm like now physically sick and mentally sick at the same time. When yeah, it doesn't do well for anybody. If you kind of help yourself physically and start to feel a little bit better physically, not look-wise, I'm talking about physically feeling better, your mental state naturally has this connection to it, so you're a little happier. One step at a time, not my best, a little bit that's better it. every day. It's, that same, it's the same mindset, and that's really where this grew from is we were living and breathing it. We couldn't be at our best. We couldn't be doing workouts in the gym six days a week. We couldn't be, you know, drinking water the second that we woke up and not no. touching alcohol until we went to sleep. It just wasn't feasible. It wasn't feasible. And so we're... And some days still aren't. No. And so I think our new normal is just trying to do a little bit at a time to be the versions of ourselves that we want to be. And if we never get to the point where we are at our best, that's okay because that's not realistic. It's not achievable. And so we're just trying to live a little bit better every single day in work, in our connections with other people, um, in our relationship with ourselves, and that's what our new normal is. So let's end this on a happy note. Sure. I put on my story a couple weeks ago that you were going to be on this podcast and people submitted questions. They are all over the place and let's just answer them. So balancing work and life. What does that look like for you? I've talked about this work-life balance a bunch, but what is there's not there's no, there's no such thing as balance, and that's the problem. We continue to preach that word. There's extremes. I'm working. I'm working. I'm living. I'm living. They don't coexist. I don't believe in the coexisting either, and I also think people who say that you will never work a day in your life if you love what you do is bullshit. Is absolutely yeah, you always, you're going to work. I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. But to say that we don't work is crazy because there are times that you're not going to want to do something and it has to be done. Hello, of course. Work. That's work. <laughs> That's what it That's is. That's a job. And so I think we're finding ways to like balance a little bit better um, in the sense of creating boundaries where we have a date night and that date night does not consist of answering emails yes or I think taking that's a phone call super important where in the past you... it was like oh yeah i'm just going to work for 5 minutes and then i'm going to talk to you for 5 minutes i'm going to work for 5 minutes and it just like doesn't work um, and so i think that's what our balance looks like and somebody else had asked what are the pros and cons of working together well first off we would not um, it would be very hard for us to be together if i was traveling for 12 months if you stayed in New Jersey to be a teacher and this relationship would have been very challenging. Yeah. Um, it has its challenges as we work together because inevitably a lot of your conversations when you go out to dinner are about your work 
And when we both work at the same place, our conversation sometimes could fall into the, we're talking about work, but we're out to dinner. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Like, how was your day? Everything you're referencing is also the other person's work. So like we're all very challenging all the time. It's very hard. But I think I have gotten a little bit better in not coming to you for everything. So we work, let's call it, I mean, it's not so corporate, but let's call it departments, right? We both work in the talent department, right? I manage other trainers. You manage all of the trainers. You do a lot of things that are beyond my scope of work. But when I have a question in the past, I would like text you about it at any time or I would Mm -hmm. ask you. And now I think I find three people that are not Andy to go to first before I go to him because it's just not worth bringing into our marriage. If there is somebody else that has the answer, I'm going to text somebody else that might have the answer to that question because it's just not worth it. So we work together in that we work on the same, some of the same issues. But I think if we worked together and we were partners in what we were doing work-wise, I don't know that it would be as successful because that's a little bit too close for comfort for me. I think we work really well together, but at the same time, there are parts of us that don't work well together and it's just not. There was one TED Talk um, right before we left on this trip that I listened to that we kind of applied a few times. And this, this goes out to anybody that brings work home. Um, like we all do because you're connected 24 hours a day. But we started doing was we worked in the kitchen with different lighting. Um, again, I got this from a TED Talk. And it actually we, really worked. I was making fun of him for a long time, but it, it worked. really worked. We, we didn't change into our home clothes yet. We were still um, you know, wearing what we, what we wore to work that day. Um, again, the lighting, I, I stressed the area was super important because when you close the laptop and then you moved into the living room and you change the lighting and you shower and change your clothes and you change your scene. It really does feel like a you felt place. like you're you're outside of work. You so. felt like you could relax. And I think a lot of what we do now, because there's no nine to five structure, there's always something that's like met, like dangling on the end of the to do list that you could do. There's like always you're, you're work to do. You're never going to be done. There's always work to be done. Um, and so if you don't create that boundary and like sit down and change your lighting and change your mood and like turn the TV on, always it, work. It, it, like it just doesn't work. So yeah, I think that's the biggest con is that we're all in all the time. But the pro is that we get to experience this together and we both genuinely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both genuinely love working for this company. And I think we've gotten to see a lot of cool places. We've gotten to meet a lot of the same people um, who have impacted us. And it's yeah. been great. Um, Someone wrote a question on how to handle career jealousy. Now, before you answer it, I think I can like proudly say I have never had career jealousy where you were doing something and I was jealous of it. I can say that when I was a teacher and you were first starting to work for Rumble, I wanted to be in that space, but it's never felt for me like... like, Are they talking about us? Yeah, between each other. So I don't think that I've ever been in a place where I've been like felt negatively because you were doing better than I was. I have always applauded you and I think vice versa too. Yeah, no, I don't think I've, I mean, you nailed it on our end. I think this message could be flipped towards anyone that's like, has that jealousy of anybody. Um, You know, before this, I wasn't as vocal about my 10 year journey to get to this spot. So it's like, it's not an overnight success. Nobody is an overnight success. Um, so if there is something that you are envious of, some type of field or, or position. Um, the best thing that you can do is ask 
yeah, how learn. they got to where they are. Because I wrote a caption on Instagram the other day that said, don't compare your day zero to somebody else's day 100. And I was guilty of that myself. You can't. First of all, no two person's journeys are the same. But at the same time, like nobody just got somewhere nobody. by snapping their fingers. So learn about how they got to where they are. And podcasts are a great example for that. Also reach out for a DM and ask to uh, get coffee. Because I did that a lot when I moved to New York. 100%. Um, there is a career like in the fitness world if you were interested like we are accessible you always know, we're, I, mean, we're I answer all my dms and i would gladly meet up with anybody who wants to learn more and i have done that in the past like or just like listen to the first episode of this podcast or this one because it we pretty much spill it all out i yep. would never i don't like having secrets i don't like making myself look more successful than i am by pretending that i was like really good and you can't be as good as me I think everybody has it. It's just having the resources of somebody who's been through it and learning about it. So, but yeah, I don't think we've ever been jealous of each other. I mean, I'll be very upfront. You make more money than I do. (laughs) Yes. Um, and that's fine. We we share positions differently. and... And also I work with more brands than you do. And I think we understand that that's because I have the time to negotiate and make those relationships and your work is focused in a different direction. Yes. And that's all it is. It's not that one of us is more successful than the other. It's just different and we'll help each other in any way that we possibly can. Um, how to handle private life now that we've now spilled everything. That well, it's pretty easy, actually. You mentioned the word boundary before. Just set a boundary. Yeah. I mean... You don't have to post on your social every single day. You don't. And you don't have to post. I've noticed too with stories, you don't have to post your story as if it is your diary every single minute of every single day. So we'll post things that are funny, like you were screaming at the Google Home that was in our apartment because it wasn't working. Funny. I whipped out my camera and filmed you. Not funny. It was pretty funny. He was like, hey, Google. Hey, Google. And like it just wasn't working. It's so ridiculous. But I filmed it and we got a lot of responses to that story because of it. But I don't have to film us walking down the street if we're going to get coffee in the morning to say hello to no. our followers because it's just not necessary to share every second of every day. And I also do believe in being public now that we've just shared this entire story. Again, I think the more relatable you are, the better. But if you are feeling like you need to separate yourself from the world, set a boundary. I agree. And do it. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. We talked about a lot of things, and I'm sure that there's a lot of things that we didn't touch on. I'm sure I'll have you on again in the future, but I appreciate you like stepping in for this vulnerable episode and sharing all of that because it's not easy, and it's not a side of us that we normally show, but we did it. We did it. And now we can go back to being fun. Good job, everybody. Good job. <laughs> you can find him on Instagram at Andrew G. Stern or teaching classes at Rumble Boxing and Training. My name is Julia Stern. You can find me on all social channels at Julia L. Stern. Hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, it will be its own Instagram handle at Not My Best Podcast. So follow, like, share, rate, comment, tell one person you know about it. And all in the meantime, stop trying to live your best life and start actually living a better one. I'll see you next week.